Father, we thank you for your word to us in Scripture. We thank you for these words to us in Luke chapter 9. Help us to understand, open our hearts that we might hear, that we might see, that we might believe what you have to say to us today. Amen. Rosaria Butterfield was a committed, secular, feminist academic. She was in a long-term lesbian relationship, part of a loving LGBT community, an academic in queer studies, secure, happy. Until one day she received a letter. A letter written in response to an attack of the religious rights that she'd recently had published a letter that didn't quite fit in the fan mail or the hate mail bag. A letter that resulted in a friendship uh, with a pastor and his wife, where over two years they read the Bible together, until in the end she gave her life to Christ. Butterfield later went on to speak about how as a result of that conversion, she lost almost everything. She lost her lover, She lost the LGBTQ community. She just about managed to hold on to her job, but she was already tenured. Had to go before an ethics board to explain why she wanted to change from queer studies to Christian hermeneutics. She lost almost everything that she had in the world. But she gained eternity. It's a humbling story. And it begs the question, what have we given up? to follow Jesus? What are we giving up right now to follow him? Or if you're not yet a Christian but considering it, what would you be willing to give up to follow Jesus? As we were thinking just now with Dan, last week he introduced our new series in Luke chapters 9 to 12. Um, And in chapter 9, Luke, um, uh, Jesus climatically reveals who he is, in verses 18 to 21, and then his mission in verse 22. But then shockingly, he goes on in verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And we're going to be thinking more about what it means to follow Jesus to the cross uh, this morning and over the next three months. But before we dig into this passage, let's just consider that idea of following for a moment, because following is a big deal for Luke. Um, I love how each of the four gospel writers gives us their own slightly different take on Jesus's life, his ministry, his teaching, his identity, and what it means to respond to Jesus. For Mark, I think um, repenting and believing is kind of the, the theme statement. You see it in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. For John, it's all about believing. Think John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes. But I think for Luke, and possibly for Matthew too, following is what's key. Uh, Track back with me for a moment. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 10 to 11, Jesus calls the first disciples to follow him, and they do. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, Jesus calls Levi, follow me, and he does. Or jump ahead to chapter 18, verse 22, the rich young ruler is challenged. Will he follow Jesus? 
And then again, in 9 verse 23, as we just saw, will we follow Jesus? For Luke, I think it's all about following. And I wonder whether we sometimes come unstuck with that word. Because following for us, well, that's clicking an icon. Committing to give a brief moment's attention to someone that you're following on social media. Or it's buying a season ticket, giving up a few Saturdays a year, getting the scarf, following your team, at least until they're relegated. Or if we're really committed, then then maybe it's it's following our favourite climate activist and taking the plunge, going veggie, getting an electric car, giving up flying for good. Or following the latest wellness guru and, um, and cutting out alcohol, sweet treats, carbs as far as we can, for good, so we hope. But ultimately, in all of these, I think the following is primarily about me. It's on my terms. I choose who to follow, how to follow, how much I'll commit to following. They don't even know that I'm following them. Following is about me. I'm still calling the shots. I'm still setting the terms. But Jesus... Well, he says if we want to follow him, then we have to let him define what that following will look like. We must let him tell us what it means to follow him. And for Jesus, according to these difficult words Claire's just read for us, following is more than finding a hobby, changing a lifestyle habit, taking up a cause. To follow Jesus is to join in. It's to leave everything behind and join the mission, join his mission. And again, perhaps our religious ways of thinking let us down a bit here. Because a bit like the kind of one-time click of the follow button on social media, the one-time signing up to the cause, signing the pledge, joining the party, buying the book, we think of following Jesus primarily as a one-time decision. Past tense, something I once decided to do. And of course, following Jesus is a one-time decision. There is a now or never. Will you give your life to Christ? Will you convert? Will you be baptized moment? But it's more than that. It's more than a moment in history. It's the decision of every day of our lives. For verse 60, Jesus says, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God." The main emphasis in this passage is is the leaving behind. But there's also a going to, a taking up, something new for our life to be filled with instead. To be a follower of this saviour is to give up building your own kingdom. Be that house, bank balance, CV, family, friendships, reputation. And to live for his kingdom. And to live for it by proclaiming it. It's a life of speaking as well as doing. He's entrusted us with a message that the world is desperately in need of. We're to share it. You may not bring every conversation with an unbeliever around to Christ. But if you never bring any conversation with an unbeliever around to Christ, pray that the Spirit will give you boldness and opportunity. To follow Jesus 
isn't just clicking the link, buying the book, taking up the cause. It's joining his mission as he defines it. It's a high, high calling. And it comes at a cost. Let's walk through the passage now as the Lord asks us whether we will follow what we are willing to give up for him. In these verses, um, Luke gives us three brief interactions between Jesus and kind of wannabe followers. It feels to me almost like there's something of kind of the X factor here. Who's going to make the cut? Who will get to judge's houses? And each interaction begins in the same way. Uh, a wannabe follower expresses interest in following Jesus. But then there are two surprises each time. At the first, Jesus doesn't respond particularly positively. He seems to lack the desperateness, the uh, if only someone would show an interest, the, the leap on the initial enthusiasm now and sort out the difficulties in the discipleship program later approach that we so often take in our evangelism, especially in a post-Christian culture like the UK where someone even seeming willing to consider following Jesus feels so unusual that we have to seize on it. But Jesus isn't desperate. He didn't need more followers. He's after true disciples, not tick boxes. And so the first surprise is that he doesn't respond particularly positively. And the second surprise, Jesus doesn't respond particularly positively to excuses that we might think are quite good. I mean, I think we've all given a fair few worse excuses in our time. The dog ate my homework, I had to wash my hair, I was tired, I just forgot. And we're not even in the territory here of being asked to give up a holiday, take a pay cut, buy a house in a less well, uh, well-to-do area. We're in the territory here of being asked not to have a home at all, of giving up our most basic duties to our family and friends. This is radical, what Jesus seems to expect. Let's take a few moments um, now to examine these excuses and Jesus' call a little more carefully. Uh, So the first, we see in verses 57 to 58 that with Jesus, there's no place to call home. With Jesus, there is no place to call home. Uh, Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. What a promise. Any place, any time, I'll be with you, Jesus. I'll be with you all the way. I'll be your right-hand man. Reminds us maybe of a certain pair of brothers, rather too confident that they could drink the cup that Jesus was about to drink in Mark 10. Or of another rash young man who thought that he alone would stay true, even if all others fell away in Mark 14. Any place, any time, I'm your man, Jesus. You can count on me. But verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You don't know what you're committing to. Jesus gently responds, because to follow me means to live like me. And to live like me means to give up your earthly comforts, to have no place to call home. And I don't think he's talking 50-inch TV, super king, bed, three bedrooms and a spare. I think he's talking 
roof, four walls, something soft to lie on that has your name on it. To follow Jesus, says Jesus, is to live like Jesus. And to live like Jesus is to accept a lower standard of living than a pigeon enjoys. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To live like Jesus is to be willing to accept a lower standard of living than a pigeon enjoys. That puts a cost of living crisis into perspective for the majority of us, doesn't it? It means living a life dependent, not on our earthly securities, but on the grace of God and the kindness of others, as Jesus' friends will soon learn in chapter 10 when he sends them out. With Jesus, there's no promise of being able to clock off at five o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock. There's no uh, set in stone 25 days annual leave, arguing for bank holidays on top. There's no guarantee that there'll be a bottle of beer, glass of wine, box of chocolates waiting at home for you at the end of a long day. To live like Jesus means to give up those rights, to give up your earthly comforts for him. I've been uh, considering my next house non-negotiable list as I've been reading the passage this week. Maybe uh, one or two others have one of those. And it's been pretty embarrassing. A study back garden, a tumble dryer, a dishwasher, two toilets, and then this. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and I'm demanding a dishwasher of my Lord. I wonder, what would you be willing to give up for Jesus? Maybe you two have a dream house in your head. Maybe you're already in it, but you've got more planned for it. Would you be willing to give it up? For Jesus, if he called you to live and serve elsewhere or called a sum of money from you that you could only get by uh, using up your savings, remortgaging, selling up, would you be willing to give up a place to call your own, no more house shares, a new kitchen, extension, garage conversion, getting inside the ring road? If the Lord needed your money for other things, would you consider a move? Would you be willing to downsize, to rent again, to go interest only on your mortgage if the Lord called you into a role where salary was going to be tight? Would you move to a less nice part of town or out of town altogether or stay here when everyone else was leaving? If there was a church plant or a struggling church that God was calling you to support, would you move to a different country to serve him? I know many in our church family have already made and are right now considering such things. Or would you give up, on a simple level, just your your home comforts? Learn to view your home a bit less like your castle and a bit more like God's gift to you, to be used to honour him. Inviting in friends, family, showing hospitality, not just to people you know, but to strangers who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Or taking in an elderly nephew, uh, no, elderly relative, wayward nephew. <laughs> Again, I know many in our church family have done in the past and right now or in the future are considering such decisions. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man 
has nowhere to lay his head. What will we be willing to give up for Jesus? Did the first man get the red buzzer on Britain's Got Talent? Did he make it through? We're not sure. Luke leaves it hanging. I think so, the spotlight will fall on us. With Jesus, there is no place to call home. Uh, Secondly, verses 9 to 60, with Jesus, no excuse will do. Verse 59, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus initiates this time. It's warmly received. And there's just one small but. If I could just get this little thing out of the way first, Jesus, I would love to follow. And this one little thing, well, of course Jesus should allow it, shouldn't he? I need to sort out my dad's funeral. And yet verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I mean, talk about pastorally insensitive Jesus. What on earth was he thinking? You can't say that to someone. Except it might not be so clear-cut. Probably if the, father's man, if the man's father had already died, he wouldn't be out now on the road travelling with Jesus. Probably his father's more likely sick, maybe dying, maybe just elderly. But still even if his dad may not yet be dead. Doesn't the Bible command that we honour our parents? It's in the Ten Commandments. Jesus backs it up in Mark 7, verses 10 to 12. Don't generously raise your standing order to the church while neglecting to support your very own aged parents who need you, Jesus teaches. So even if his dad isn't quite on death's doorstep yet, isn't it good and right to honour his father in his final weeks, months, years? And wouldn't it be the most amazing witness in our autonomous, individualistic, youth-obsessed, secular Western society if we could get a bit better at this as the church and learn to respect and care for our elders in a way that would be so countercultural? Again, I know a number in our church family already doing this. The Bible commands that we honour our parents. But I don't know about you, I wonder whether there's a slight whiff of best possible excuse here. Maybe this man's primary motivation for going home really was to honour and serve his aged sick father. But maybe there are a few other slightly less noble reasons lurking in the background. You know, think of the, you know, we really must take a three-week holiday in Florida because we've got family and friends there and they must see us. So important that we spend that quality time with them on holiday at Disneyland. Yeah, our best possible excuse won't cut it with God. He sees right into our hearts. He knows the reasons holding us back. And even if this is a genuine excuse, even if the man really does want to honour his father, who really is in his dying days, still, Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Couldn't be much starker. Let the dead bury the dead. Don't go back. I've got more important work for you. Jesus calls us to give up our very greatest earthly responsibilities to follow him. No excuse will do. Now, this is one I've wrestled with this week. 
It's been on my heart for a while that, that maybe we Western Christians have got something to learn from brothers and sisters around the world. Maybe we're a bit too quick to, to seize on exciting gospel calls and, and maybe neglect some of our less exciting earthly responsibilities the Lord's given us. And the Lord has placed a burden on my heart over recent years to, uh, to honor and support uh, my parents. But as my wife Charlotte and I consider our future, where the Lord might be calling us to serve him in the years to come. Where do my parents, who live locally now, who aren't getting any younger, where do they fit in? Where, where do they sit in the decision-making? I think, after a week of soul-searching, the answer is, is still high up. Very high up. Looking after them should certainly trump such earthly concerns as what kind of town or city or neighbourhood Charlotte and I might like to live in. What kind of house we would want to rent or own, what local schools might be like for our children. But looking after my parents must not come too high. It must not come above following the Lord's call. Looking after them must be a factor, but not the determining factor. And here's the real danger, certainly not a best possible excuse for other less godly desires and concerns and priorities I might have. Maybe some of you facing a similar decision, trying to work out what the Lord's call is and how you should understand and balance your earthly responsibilities in light of it. Let's pray for God's wisdom. And let's remember that with Jesus, no excuse will do. He calls us to give up our very greatest earthly responsibilities to follow him. So with Jesus, we will have no place to call home, and no excuse will do. Finally, verses 61 and 62, with Jesus, there is no looking back. With Jesus, there is no looking back. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And again, it feels reasonable. Again, we're in the territory of good and right family responsibilities, surely. Let me just tie up loose ends with my folks back home, then I will come. Let me just wait till the kids have all gone off to university. Let me just wait till the baby's arrived. Let me just hang on till my gran is out of hospital and safe at home. Then I'm all yours, Jesus. I'll be ready to follow. But Jesus' response, verse 62, no one put, who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Where's your heart? He asks. Where's your heart? You've come so far already. To turn back now wouldn't just be to press pause. It would be to reveal you to be entirely unsuitable. Looking behind you while ploughing a field. Well, I've never tried it, but um, I think the best case scenario is that the harvest will be ruined. Worst case scenario, you might lose a limb. Pretty dangerous thing to do. It simply doesn't work. Jesus says, to travel this far and then try to pop back into your old life. You're all in, says Jesus, or you're better off not in at all. There's no looking back. Jesus asks for all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. In chapter 10, verse 27, not just the best three quarters. You're all in, or you're not really in at all. And we don't need to look far in the pages of scripture 
to see people who started the journey with Jesus, who were part of the covenant community, and then looked back. Think of Lot's wife in Genesis 19. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus 16. And then in the land in 1 Kings 18. Think of Judas. There's no looking back, says Jesus. It's eyes straight ahead and only ahead with him. And so we must ask ourselves this morning, are we half in? Do we have one foot in this world and one foot in the next? A list of things to tick off before we are willing to commit ourselves to Christ. A certain qualification, a certain job role in a certain workplace. Kids grown up and gone, dreams of romance, family, a forever home. Do we long to go back? We don't get to set the conditions of following him. Jesus says, we're all in, or we're not in at all. There's no looking back. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Asked Jesus just a little earlier in chapter 9. There'll never be a right time to go all in with Jesus. There'll never be a better time than now. So go all in. Maybe there are some this morning who are not yet believers but are keen to follow Jesus and considering the claims of Christ coming along to church for a few weeks a few months maybe done an Almasira course count the cost says Jesus listen to what he says it means to follow him and take it seriously be prepared to lose friends family work reputation and be prepared to suffer be prepared to die, and not even just figuratively. On Tuesday night, a number of us will be watching the film A Cry from Iran, a documentary about the martyrdom of Iranian Christians in the 1990s. Be prepared to lose everything, says Jesus, but go all in. It will be worth it. Maybe there are some who are following but not sure they can carry on. Uh, maybe single, female, racing through your 20s or 30s, unbelieving friends, all settling down. You look around and you see so few young, single, godly men in the church. And you wonder, could you bear the cost of singleness for Christ? Or maybe you're younger, in your teens, and you just long to slip under the radar at school, to not be noticed, to not stand out? Can you bear the cost of being known for following Jesus, for being thought weird, talked about, people not wanting to be seen with you? Maybe some uh, work in the public sector and you feel the ground of ethical opinion shifting under your feet. And you wonder whether it will still be possible in a few years' time to be a Christian in medicine, social work, education here in the UK. Can you bear the cost of maybe losing your career for Christ? Or maybe you give sacrificially above and beyond a tithe 
to the church, to good Christian causes. And you wonder, can you bear the cost of never having the holidays, the houses, that your unbelieving friends are all buying? Stay all in, says Jesus. It will be worth it. And many of us this morning will already have made choices such as those. We will have given up. We will be giving up in this moment huge things to follow Christ. Let me simply say, brothers and sisters, stay all in. Keep going. Follow him today. Follow him tomorrow. Follow him with every day of your life. Stay on his mission team. You won't regret it. If this sounds too hard, then look to him. Look to the one making this call. This instruction isn't just coming in some disembodied voice from outer space. He's not a taskmaster sitting on high. He's not looking to see which mouse can jump the highest, run the fastest. He's not the slave owner watching for who can work the hardest. He's the son of man. Verse 58. The one calling this of us. He's the one who counted the cost in a way we could not even imagine. He is the one who gave up the splendor of heaven for the squalor of a borrowed stable. The one who gave up a loving family home for life on the road. The one who had nowhere to lay his head, entirely reliant upon his father's kindness and the welcome of a follower, a friend or a listener into their home. And he probably spent a fair few nights sleeping by the road when nothing else was available. He gave up his career, no way to earn his own money, no savings, no safety blankets, no bank of mum and dad that he fell back on. He was cast adrift by his family and friends, given no honour in his hometown where he came from, thought a fool, both intentionally and unintentionally misunderstood, underappreciated, disliked, campaigned against and cancelled time after time, and then finally abandoned in his darkest hour by his followers, the crowds, his closest friends, his family, and his heavenly father for us. He gave up, gave up everything for us. He counted a far greater cost than he will ever ask of us, than we could ever imagine. And he promises us everything. A little later in Luke's gospel, in chapter 18, a rich young ruler will tragically choose not to follow Jesus. And his disciples will look on in despair. We've left all we had to follow you. And he'll make them a promise. Luke 18, verse 29. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Those who follow Jesus, who join his mission, don't finish empty-handed. Because Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross he was raised. And so those who join his mission will be raised with him. 
and we will finish with the crown of eternal life. We will finish with far, far, far more than we have ever given up. For he is the one who died, that he might give us all the treasures of heaven. So what will we give up to follow him? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he gave up the splendor of heaven for the cross. Thank you that he made himself nothing, that he might live among us, that he might serve us, that he might die for us. Thank you that he will never ask anything of us that is more than a tiny fraction of what he has given up for us. Help us to hear these words, to hear this call. For those among us considering following, for those of us who followed faithfully for many years, might we be willing to lose everything, that we might gain him. Show us what that looks like, what that means in each of our lives right now, and in the years to come. And help us to know that the one who has risen and reigns has promised us everything and that we will look back and only think what a great joy it was to give up the things of this world for him. Amen.